Welcome to the UND Chi Alpha podcast, a podcast for shaping students that are changing culture. Thank you guys. It's been a while. I was gone in Roseau and then I was in Florida. I just got back from Florida, you guys. It was so great. Who's been to Universal? Studios like who likes thrill rides? Okay, the Velocicoaster, like Jurassic Park, just opened a week before I got there. What a rush! It was awesome. Highly recommend. Please go check it out if you would like. Anyway, um, it was so good. And what else is really good is this sermon series we've been doing. Have you guys been enjoying it? Going through the Book of Mark. Pastor Josiah was the one who basically planned this summer, and so he's been doing awesome too. He's been taking over Kyle Alpha while Mark and I have been in Roseau, helping his dad on the farm. So props to you, Josiah, for taking care of the team and Kyle Alpha, all of it. You're the man. We love it. And so last week, who was here for Pastor Michaela when she shared on Mark 4? Yes, so good. I wasn't here. I was in Florida. But I got a little recap from her about it. And my favorite thing that I heard, and I hope you remember this, was when she used the Greek like definition of listen. You remember that? I don't know how to say it. I'm not going to say it. But listen, when Jesus is saying, like, listen to what I'm saying, listen, he's basically, I'm telling them you need to have hyper hearing, hyper hearing, which means hearing that goes beyond the eardrum and affects the heart, which then prompts obedience. So we should have that. We should listen, have hyper hearing to everything in the word. So I hope you guys have hyper hearing today when I share Mark chapter 5. So I'm going to recap like where we're at in the Bible. So at the end of Mark 4, Jesus and his disciples got on a boat. They went across the sea and there was a huge crazy storm. And on this journey, Jesus took a nap or he went to bed and he's sleeping perfect peace, right? And the storm's going on, the disciples are freaking out, and they have to actually wake Jesus up. And so I was reading this um, all throughout last week and the week before, but when I was on the plane to Florida, we were having some turbulence, you know what I'm saying? But it was worse than I've ever experienced in a long time. I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm on the uh, roller coaster again. What is going on? But I was like, okay, Jesus slept during the storm. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to sleep on this plane. Give me peace, Lord. So I was just trying to be like Jesus. I made it, so we're all good. But the disciples woke Jesus up, and Jesus goes, peace, be still, and then tells his disciples, where is your faith? What are you doing? Of course, we're going to be fine. And so Jesus demonstrated his authority over the sea and the wind and nature. And today we're going to see him demonstrate his authority over the demonic, over disease and sickness, and over death itself. So it's going to be amazing. Are you guys ready? Are you excited? Mark chapter 5. The title of this message is called Washed Clean. Washed Clean. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would give us hyper hearing so that we can learn um, and hear what you are saying, but let it hit our hearts, Lord, in a real way. And I pray that all of us would walk out in obedience to what you want to teach us. So we love you, Father, in your name. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 5 has two main stories. We're going to focus on the first one, which is the man who is possessed by demons. Um, I'm kind of going to recap throughout uh, my message the other story. Um, It's pretty cool, but what I want you guys to think about as I read the first story in Mark 5 is that this is a real story, and it actually happened. All right? The whole Bible, too. But 
a real story. This actually happened, all right? What we're about to read. So picture it, try to imagine it. I'll try to help you help illustrate it. But so in Mark 5, verse 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the garrisons. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So remember, the storm. They just got off a crazy experience. The storm happened. They get off. Immediately, a man with an unclean spirit comes up to them. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. And we can um, see that this is the demon speaking, not the actual man, because this demon knows, like, you are the son of the most high God. So I picture his voice like, look at you, the most high God. Like, how do you torment me? No, meh. Uh, and so for he, Jesus was saying, verse 8, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country because he knew Jesus had authority over him. So he's begging him, please don't do that. Don't, don't send us out of the country. Um, and so verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, humbering and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled. Okay, and imagine that, right? Your pigs, this is your pride and joy. They're all dead. They just all ran in a panic and drowned. That's crazy. This actually happened, okay? Think about that. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Ooh, real story. This actually happened. Real story joyful noise um, but so let's we're going to focus on um the the unclean man he's a main character of the story and so this man was incredibly strong i believe he was empowered by the demons to rip chains and do crazy things um, but i really want to highlight to you his uncleanliness this man was incredibly unclean and before i share more on his uncleanliness i want you guys to note that jesus was not afraid of this man's uncleanliness Right? That's a big point. Jesus isn't afraid of uncleanliness. 
He was not afraid of this man. I would be kind of afraid this crazy man was coming after me. But so first, though, to give you a little history on the Old Testament law and why this was a big deal for Jesus to even talk to this man or go to the other side of the sea and be with these people is um, God had made a bunch of rules in the Old Testament for his people, the Jewish people, to be clean. So he had a lot of rules, like if you ate, if you touched a pig or if you touched someone with leprosy, like you were considered unclean, you couldn't be a part of society for a while. You either had to be, you know, separated in a tent, wash yourself or sacrifice at the temple, um, you know, a pig or, or not a pig, a cow or something in order to be cleansed and be and be free. And the reason, like the whole purpose for these laws, like the ceremonial laws of that time for the Jewish people was because God wanted his people, his chosen people to be holy and set apart from everyone around them. So that's why he had all these laws. If you read the Old Testament, you're like, what? Are, why? Wow. They had a lot of stuff. Wow. They had to like be away from people like girls. You know, we get our periods every month. We're unclean. They were considered unclean for a whole week or however long it lasted and they couldn't be a part of society they had to wait and go through all the cleansing rituals to be clean so it was a big deal so jesus interacting with this guy that's a big deal think about that for the disciples they're like oh my gosh this man is the uncleanliest guy we've ever seen and he's even more unclean not just because he has this unclean spirit you know he has a demon inside of him but he's also living among the dead so he's living in the tombs, and for the Jews, if they touch a dead body, they're not able to be around people for seven days. Like, they're considered unclean for seven days. So he's touching, like, tombs and stuff like that. Even if you touch it, you're considered unclean. The third thing about this guy, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's living in a Gentile region. They're very unclean um, by Jewish standards. And then the last one is he lived by pigs. Pigs are very unclean. You can't eat pigs or bacon or anything, it's very unfortunate for them at that time. They can now, it's all good, I'll explain more. But so he lived by pigs. So again, big deal for Jesus to be over there with this guy, right? But he didn't seem bothered by this man's uncleanliness, right? In fact, he goes and he cleanses him, completely cleans him. And we see in the other stories, or the other story in the Bible, I'm just going to recap it a little bit, but there's two characters in there. One is the woman who's had a flow of blood um, happening in her body for the past 12 years. She's desperate, right? She has gone to doctors. It says she spent all of her money and she was left worse off. So she was unclean. When you read this, I encourage you, read this story by yourself and go through it the way we're going through the first one, just dissecting it and trying to put ourselves in, in that place in that day to see what they're feeling. But so she was incredibly unclean. She reaches out in desperation, touches Jesus. He turns around and says, who touched me? Because he felt healing power go out of him. She's healed. He said, wow, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You're healed. And he wasn't bothered by her uncleanliness. He wasn't disgusted, which I'm sure she was terrified of, which is why she probably touched him in secret. The second character in Mark chapter 5 that's very unclean is the dead girl that he goes and raises to life. Like, you guys, he, he picks up her hand and he, and he says, what does he say? Talitha Kumi. I don't know how to say that. Probably said it wrong. He said that and she was raised from the dead. He touched a dead body. He didn't care. He wasn't bothered by that. So why wasn't he bothered by that? That was something that was bothering me. I'm like, why, doesn't, why isn't he bothered by it? This is interesting. And also, all throughout the book of Mark and the Gospels, if you read and follow Jesus, you see him talking to a lot of unclean people, right? They always say Jesus hung out with sinners. 
totally did unclean people. He made a lot of people mad about that. And he wasn't doing that just to, you know, be a rebel and start, like, cause trouble. He was doing that, one, um, because he had the power and authority to do that, to cast out darkness, to be by unclean things, and to to make people clean. He was given that authority by the Lord. And then the second thing is that a part of his mission, like a big part of Jesus's mission when he was brought to this earth was to get his listeners to realize in Mark 7, it says, um, and this is the, it says listen in the scripture. I didn't put it on there, but it's that hyper hearing. Okay. Hyper hearing. He really wants his listeners to get this. So Mark 7 verse 15. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. And then it explains more in verse 21. It's up there. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So Jesus is far more concerned about the state of our hearts than about the things that are going on around us. You know, and he's, he's really trying to get people to understand this, especially the Pharisees. If, as you read through Mark, check out the Pharisees. See what they're doing. They are people similar to us. If you're in here and you love the Lord, you're following him. We are in danger of having a Pharisee mindset when we think, oh, well, you know, I look fine on the outside, right? Like, my social media looks clean. I got Bible verses. I'm good. Or, you know, like, I appear, like, everyone thinks I'm a good person. You know, my parents think I'm good, my classmates, all of that. But really, on the side, I'm also kind of addicted to, to sexual sin. Or, But no one has to know that. It's fine. Or maybe I'm, I have a lying issue. I just keep lying, a little white lie here or there. Right, But on the outside, no one knows. Everyone thinks I'm so great. I'm a good Christian. Jesus is trying to get us to understand that. Like the things on the outside don't defile us. If we're unclean on the inside, excuse me, that's the issue. And so he says this to the Pharisees, which again, similar to us, we need to take this to heart. Matthew 23, um, 25 through 26 says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! Exclamation point. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. You're so full of greed and self-indulgence. This is something that we need to be careful of, especially the self-indulgence, right? We live in a world that's like, it's all about me. Like, it's all about me. Look at my social media. All about me. My name's on it. Got to make sure it looks good. I want this and that. You know, it's all about us. But that is not where we're supposed to be. It's supposed to be all about him. When we give our lives to Jesus, he then comes inside of us and changes us. He washes us clean. So, friends, can we go back to the verse, um, the verse 21? Yes. This list right here. Um, I want you guys either taking notes, write down at least the scripture reference so you can check it out later. But I want you guys to ask the Lord in your own time, like, Lord, search me and know my heart. What's going on? I don't want to be icky and dirty on the inside. I want to be cleansed. I want to be washed clean by you. Because his word says that in 1 John 1, 5 through 7, it's also going to be up on the screen. It says this, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. 
God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this takes it back, right, to where the uncleanliness of the day, back in the day, they had to do sacrifices. They had to be separated from people for long periods of time to become clean. A big part of Jesus, what he tells people, what he tells the Pharisees and his disciples, is that he didn't come to abolish that law, you know, to, to get rid of it. He came to fulfill it, meaning he was the perfect sacrifice, and his blood now is the only thing that can wash us clean, right? There's nothing we can do. We can't go sacrifice a cow. We can't wash ourselves in holy water or whatever. You know, he's the only one that can wash us clean, and that should give us so much hope, you guys, because I know it gave this man who was just completely destroyed from the inside out by these demons, it gave him hope. Jesus was the only one who could wash that man clean, cast out that demon. Jesus was the only one who could heal that woman who was unclean with blood, and Jesus was the only one who could heal the girl that you guys hopefully will read later in Mark 5. But so they only needed him. We only needed him. Let's go back to that uh, demon-possessed man. I want us to imagine um, just what it, what it could have been like for him. I think when I was pondering him and um, just trying to relate, I really feel like he is one of the saddest souls of the whole Bible. Like even compared to Job, if you're familiar with Job in the Old Testament, he went through a ton of crazy stuff. But the thing with Job was he always had his relationship with God. So he had some hope. This guy, he didn't have any hope at all. So I imagine, first of all, this man is full of darkness. How he got there, he either could have participated in some sin, and then the demons were like, ooh, open door, let's go in there and invite all of our friends. Or he, something happened to him, which opened the door. Whatever it was, he was completely tormented by these demons. And when you read about him in there, like, picture it. He was cutting himself, right? Literally cutting himself in anger and torment and in rage. And then I imagine, too, like, he probably had family and friends in this town, right? And they didn't know what to do. They're probably panicked or disgusted. And they're like, let's just get rid of him. Let's just chain him up in a graveyard, right? Let's get rid of him. And so imagine being him. He probably still has some ability to be like, I don't like, I don't want to be a part of this, but I have no control. And so they cast him out. He's alone. His family left him, betrayed him. And he's crying out desperately day and night. The whole town can probably hear it. He's probably this like, you know, story. They all say like, oh, the crazy man in the graves. Like he's so scary. Um, and I think some pastors and scholars have said that the sea that Jesus crossed was small enough where people on the other side of the sea could hear him. And they say um, they like to think that Jesus probably heard him crying too, that, they, that he heard him and he's like, I need to go over there for that man, right? I need to do that. I need to go over there. But so imagine this. Try to relate to this dude. So he's full of darkness. And then in Ephesians 5, it says that we as well, when we didn't know the Lord, we were full of darkness too. Like that's straight in scripture. We were full of darkness before we had the Lord. So all of us in this room, we were full of darkness. Some of you in this room right now, you might have some darkness or you might be full of darkness because it doesn't matter if you go to church every day, if you haven't fully surrendered your life, there's, there's still darkness inside of you. So there was darkness in us. There's darkness in the sky. And so how we can relate to him, I mean, we may not be possessed 
by a demon, but maybe we're obsessed with it, or we're obsessed with darkness, not possessed by it. Are you possessed by dark? Are you obsessed with darkness and evil and sin? Something to think about. This is what I was thinking about when I was reading this. Uh, maybe you're not cutting yourself physically, or maybe you are. Maybe you're at that place where you don't feel anything and you want to feel, so you're cutting yourself. Or maybe you're using your words and your thoughts to cut yourself down. Same thing, you're cutting yourself. Um, you may not be living in isolation or cast out like that, but maybe you're in this room today and you're surrounded by people, yet you still feel alone. And you're sad and lonely, depressed, anxious. You're overwhelmed by your thoughts. Man, I want you guys to know that at that point of desperation, Jesus will meet you there, and he's not afraid of your uncleanliness. He's not afraid of that darkness that is inside of you. And I've been there. I've been right where you guys are at. I reached a point of desperation about 12 years ago when I was obsessed with darkness and my sin, felt like I couldn't get out of it, was definitely feeling isolated in my heart. And when I had my encounter with the Lord and I fully surrendered my life to him, Oh, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was literally like light was shining, beaming inside of me, and everything changed. I was never the same. And so um, can I actually have the worship team come on? I want to go back to how this guy was left, or whoever's doing worship. Yep, Christian. Um, so when we look back um, on this man in Scripture at the very end, let me go back. You don't have to put it on the screen. Actually, no, I have it here. But it said when those people came, right, when they were like, what is going on? All these pigs died. Like, blah. And they come and they see this man. It says he was clothed and he was in his right mind, right? Clothed meaning he was no longer living in shame. He had no more shame because when you're naked, you know, you're sh exposed, shame. Everyone sees everything. But he was fully clothed. So when we have the Lord come into our hearts and completely cleanse us and wash us clean, there is no shame. So I don't care what any of you guys have done in here, even if you think it's horrible, like the worst thing you could ever do. Jesus is there, and he will wash that. There is no shame in what you have done. And then he was in his right mind, meaning there was no longer darkness inside of him. Nothing was hindering his thoughts. Nothing was hindering his eyes from seeing and understanding the truth. And, and nothing was allowing him to look at the world and all its pleasures and be like, oh, yeah, I kind of like that. No, things change. When we're in our right mind, the mind that God intended for us, we can't look at the world the same again. We can't look at sin and be like, oh, that looks kind of fun. No, we see things through a different lens, and it's beautiful. And so <clears throat> I do want to say, or I wanted to mention how the people responded to this man and to Jesus in the story, like all the people from the city. So I think it's interesting. It said that they responded in fear, like they were afraid. And they didn't embrace it. It wasn't a healthy fear, like, whoa, your God is so good. I want to be a part of it. They were like, whoa, no, run away. This is really freaky. And then also some scholars say that it might not have even have been just fear, but they probably were pretty ticked because with these 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of money that they just lost. And it was probably enough money that kept that city afloat. I think um, I read that the financial loss of the pigs was estimated around $250,000, like today, you know, so put it back then. That's a lot of money that these pigs just died. That's crazy. But so these people were more upset about their financial loss, things of this world, than seeing their friend, the person that they've heard crying out for who knows how long. They cared more about that than him. 
They cared more about that than his freedom and his deliverance. So when, friends, let's not be like them. When we see Jesus doing something or if Jesus says, hey, let go of the things, sacrifice this, pay for that person's food or whatever, like take them in, spend time with people and love them. We got to do that with joy. Let's not hold on. Let's not respond to what God is doing like the people did and tell Jesus to leave and run away. And then to um, when you do give your life to Jesus, people will respond that way. You probably experienced it if you've already given your life to him. I know I have. I lost a lot of friends, and I can promise you guys it is so worth it because all that matters is him. All that matters is him. And then the last thing with that, um, at the end of the story, that man was begging Jesus to go with him. He's like, I want to come with you, which I would too, right? If you were like completely possessed by demons, cutting yourself, I'd want, and then like the whole, like your city isn't even that pumped. Maybe some of them were. I'd be like, no, Jesus, you're taking me with you. I, I need you. But no, Jesus is like, okay, friend, I would love that, but no. Like I need you to do what most glorifies me. And I know in my life, time and time again, big, big part of my story is our infertility journey. The Lord told me in 2017, he's like, Debo, what do you care about more? Saving souls for my kingdom or being a mom? And I was like, being a mom, <laughs> because you know I could do both. God, like, you know I could do both. But then I, I know what you want me to say. You want me to say, you know, win souls for your kingdom. And I, I felt God say to me, he's like, yeah, Debo, I need you in this role right now for my kingdom because it's going to bring me the most glory. Like right now, own your role as a Kyle pastor. Own your role as a friend. Use the time you have now because someday, yeah, I will promote you. I used to say that. God, promote me to motherhood, please. And he's like, I'll promote you. It's not really promotion. It's the same. Everything's a promotion in the kingdom of God. He's like, I'll, I'll give you that, which he has. It's really great. Um, and it's true. My time is a little more limited. So I'm like, looking back, wow, you were so right. But in that moment, I fully surrendered it to him. The song we were singing, like, let my life be an altar. That's what I felt I did. I'm like, okay, God, here's my dreams of being a mom. I give it to you because I want to give you the most glory. And I can't explain it, but I definitely felt peace come on me, like that supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. And when I gave it to him, I don't think I cried, like, again about it, like, in a desperate, like, hopeless way. It was more like, I have peace. This is great. And that man, I'm sure at first he's like panicked, like, I can't just go tell everyone this. Like, I was, I'm not fit for society. But I'm sure when Jesus, like, when he, like, surrendered and said, okay, fine, I'm going to go. I'll tell everyone. I'm sure he felt that peace too. And Jesus went before him. And it said that everyone marveled. Like, everyone marveled at this guy's story. Because how could you not? So I don't know what that looks like for you guys, what God's telling you to do. Maybe you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do this degree, but you're telling me to. Or maybe you're like, I've already, you know, you're telling me to move here. I don't want to move here. I don't know what it is, but I promise you, if you listen and are obedient, God will move through you and he will give you peace and you will find contentment in any situation, any storm you're in. Think back to the, the first story I shared, how he calmed that storm. Peace, be still. He'll do that. I think there's someone going through a storm right now. I don't know what it looks like. Actually, I'm sure everyone is. Peace. He will speak to your storm. Peace be still. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed you, encouraged you, and equipped you to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If you would like to connect with us, you can visit us at undkialpha.com.